0: Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Now, brown rats are not everybody's favourite species, they're known to spread disease and have destroyed island ecosystems across the world where… well, we inadvertently introduced them. But these tenacious little invaders also make a fascinating study system for population genetic studies. And in this episode, we hear from the authors behind a recent Heredity paper, genomic analyses reveal three independent introductions of the invasive brown rat, Rattus norvegicus, to the Faroe Islands. It's a fascinating study with its origins in human exploration and tragedy, and it's a story that reveals the invaluable role of peer review in modern science. So,
1: let's meet our authors.
2: Hi, I'm Emily Puckett, an assistant professor at the University of Memphis, and I study phylogeography and population genomics.
1: My name is Eva Magnussen, associate professor in biology at the University in the Faroe Islands. I am lecturing in different biological disciplines, mainly related to ecology. My scientific work is mainly on small terrestrial mammals. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. This study is
0: focused on the population genetics of the brown rat on the Faroe Islands. And just in case listeners don't know much about the Faroes, maybe you could just tell us a bit about the islands in general and the motivation behind the study.
1: The Faroe Islands are some highly isolated archipelago in the, in the middle of the North Atlantic <clears throat> among Iceland, Norway and, and Scotland. They consist of 18 small islands, which are uh, separated by small sounds were uh, about 50 to 100, uh, to 100 meter between them, and thus the islands are a kind of laboratory for scientific work mainly on genetic analysis and things like that.
2: Yeah. So- This project really started with my postdoc advisor, Jason Munchie South, and he and I had been working on the global phylogeography of rats. So when Edith Finn approached us, we saw this great opportunity to add first to the global story, especially to capture the history of an archipelago with adjacent island populations where it's really interesting that not all of the islands of the pharaohs have been colonized by rats. Additionally, this project had very clear hypotheses because of the historic record about both the source populations of the invasions as well as the timing of the invasions, and we really wanted to test both of those pieces of each hypothesis. But on a bigger picture perspective, we're really asking how well do historic records of invasions match what we can learn from population genomics. And this project is particularly interesting because it really tests the limits of population genomics to understand this type of demography because the invasions of the pharaohs were so recent in time.
0: Fantastic. And these rats aren't native to the Faroes. so how do people think they reached the archipelago in the first place?
2: There's some interesting hypotheses, and these were the specific hypotheses that we were testing. So there was a shipwreck in 1768. Uh, It was a Norwegian ship that crashed off the coast of Scotland. And the hypothesis and the historic record said that rats rafted on the shipwreckage all the way to Sudaroy. And that that's how they got to the Faroe Islands. And Suderoy is the most southern of the 17 islands within this archipelago. Within two years, rats were seen on one of the larger islands, Stremoy, and then expanded to nearby islands, Esteroy and Vágar. And then in 1900 to 1902, they appear in the most northern islands of Borðoy and Vidoy. So we were testing three hypotheses First, the shipwreck hypothesis. Second, that rats moved from Suderoy to Stremoy. And third, that there was an independent introduction into the northern islands.
0: And why is it important to understand how these rats have been colonizing these islands?
1: The rat came to the Faroe Island for 250 years ago. They make a big damage on the animal living in the Faroe Island, mainly on the seabirds. And some of the population, for example, the puffins, the population decreased drastically. And uh, still, the population is on a low level compared to the rat freeze island. Of course, we want to destroy the rat from the island. And doing in this work, it's very important to know the biology how are they living and how are they migrating between the islands. So, by doing a genetic analysis, we can use this knowledge, destroying them, the rat from the different islands. So, it's very important. Okay, great.
0: And I mean, you kind of mentioned there a little bit about your various hypotheses. And Emily, I know from our emails that there were some pretty cool nerdy pop gen methods in this. So, what was it you actually did to test these hypotheses?
2: We started the analyses of this project like we would for anything. So, ran some PCA and fine structure and a fast sim call model on our DD RadSeq data. And when it went into review at Heredity, one of the reviewers asked for me to remove the bounds on the divergence time in the demographic model. And this was a great suggestion. I had only put on bounds on the divergence time to limit the parameter space um, because we had a pretty good idea when rats were coming into Europe and that rats from Europe were the ones colonizing the pharaoh. So that puts some limits on the temporal aspect. And when I removed the bounds to address the reviewer, the analyses went crazy and specifically the demographic model was showing that the Faroese populations were ancestral and that they were the ones that colonized Europe. and frankly, common sense tells us that something was wrong like that is not the history of this species in this part of the world. <laughs> Yeah. So one, I was frustrated. And two, I had to think really hard about why the programs were seeing the data and analyzing the data in this specific way. And I finally was like, what can I do? And I just plotted a density plot of minor allele frequencies for each population. And that's when I saw that the pharaoh's populations had a much higher frequency of fixed alleles which we would expect from a strong bottleneck coming from very few founding individuals. But it was also much higher than certainly the European populations that were the putative source. And so when I was thinking about the data and what data is going to pick up of recent signature of divergence, it's going to be those either shifts in allele frequencies due to the founder effect in the low frequency, more recent mutations around the time of the population divergence, or new mutations that occurred after the invasion event. And so what I was seeing in those minor allele frequency distributions was that I wasn't capturing really any of that low frequency data that could actually get to the temporal estimates that I was interested in that were part of our hypotheses. And so that led us down a different path of thinking about how we were calling SNPs in the first place. So we were using all of the samples from both continental Europe as well as the pharaohs, regular SNP calling, regular minor allele frequency filters of 5%, and saw that was really constraining these rare alleles that might be on the pharaohs. So to address this, I called SNPs just on the samples from the pharaohs and then identified the base pair positions, and then recall them in the European populations, and then put those data sets together. We still have a skewed distribution of that minor allele frequency with a lot of fixed variance in the pharaohs. But what we saw once we did that second ascertainment step in the SNP calling was that we were getting more resolution, especially in the fine structure analysis for the Ferris populations. And it was solving part of our problem, but we still couldn't run a full FASsim cold demographic model because uh, it just didn't have the data to pick up that signature.
0: Yeah, great. I mean, well, I mean, that's disappointing, but that's that's fantastic that so much came from what seems like a fairly minor comment.
2: Yeah, it was really insightful that such a small, like, hey, why don't you try it out? It shouldn't matter if you take a bound off of a demographic model, and then it was like, oh wow. Yeah,
0: fantastic. So, I guess in terms of your sort of original aims and hypotheses, what was this data actually telling you? Like, what were you finding in the study about their colonization and their demographics?
2: We feel like we can address the geographic portion of each of our hypotheses. So we did see that Norwegian rats were a likely source population for Suderoy, as well as Bordoi, and that those were separate colonizations. However, our results did not support the second hypothesis that rats from Suderoy were transported within the Faroe Islands to Stremoy. And instead, we Observe that that was an independent colonization. And we think it was from Great Britain, although the bottleneck was so extreme that the rats on Strimoy, Asteroid, and Bagar look very differently than those on Suderoy and Bordoy and Baidoy. However, because of the issues with the data and the minor allele frequencies picking up the temporal signatures, we were not able to test the temporal part of each of the hypotheses.
0: Okay. And I mean, I I guess an interesting question there is that at the end of this paper, you do mention quite a lot of potential future research. Is that something you're hoping to tackle eventually?
2: It would be really fun to keep working on this project. So since we saw multiple independent colonizations and extremely low gene flow within the Faroe Islands, we see these as independently evolving populations. And because the Faroes are marginal habitat for rats, they're definitely close to but not at the extreme edge of the climatic distribution. But The pharaohs have a lower population density, so when we think about the amount of resources that rats have available to them in the pharaohs compared to New York City or London, we're interested to understand how they're adapting to this marginal climate while also having limited resources compared to similar populations at the same latitudinal range that might have increased resources.
0: No, fantastic. And I guess I wonder what you think the sort of wider appeal of this study is. So the sort of wider message in it.
2: One of the wider messages is definitely with our SNP ascertainment calling strategy. So if your population is extremely bottlenecked, you might have to think about what that's doing. And I think it's for us it was really layered with the DD radSeq sequencing approach at the same time. So our radseq, we were genotyping five to six percent of the genome, and then typical for a radSeq study, about 10 percent of our loci had variable sites. And so when you think about, well, if we're only getting variable sites in about 0.5% of the genome, and we're looking for recent mutations, like very recent mutations, what's the chance that we're going to pick that up in the 0.5% of the genome that we're sequencing? And so I think that's something to consider, but not, also not something to jump to. Like, I would definitely explore your data first and understand what's going on broadly, before considering might a bottleneck have been so severe that you're unable to answer your hypotheses.
0: I think that's a good message.
1: For us living in the Faroe Island, it was amazing that there was a big genetic difference between the rat living on the different islands. With mean that is a very small migration up among the islands, which is important when we have to, the irritation, the rat. It's possible maybe to start with us, one or a single island or also a small island and then we can continue to the other islands as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It sounds, it sounds incredibly important, as you say, especially for the seabirds. And I guess just to finish off, it would be great if you could just remind us of the name of your paper and maybe tell us about your co-authors that we haven't had a chance to hear from.
2: Our paper is Genomic Analyses Reveal Three Independent Introductions of the Invasive Brown Rat, Rattus Norvegicus, to the Faroe Islands. My name is Emily Puckett, and I wrote this paper with Edithin Magnussen, Udmela Kylap, Tanya Strand, Aki Lundqvist, and Jason Munchie South.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to the Heredity Podcast.
1: You are welcome.
2: Thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it.
0: This is a really interesting study. And its historical context is fascinating, so please do go check it out on the Heredity website, that's nature.com forward slash hdy, which is also where you can find out everything you need to know about how you can get your research published in the journal. And as Emily can attest to, the quality of our reviewers is second to none. Last up, let's hear from Dr Kat Arney over at Genetics Unzipped, which recently released an episode on a fairly controversial part of genetics history. Charles Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, was a brilliant scientist and inventor, but he was also deeply racist and invented the term eugenics to describe his theories of genetic purity. In the latest episode of Genetics Unzipped, we're continuing our series exploring 100 ideas in genetics, telling tales of sex and death. We look at how Galton's ideas set the stage for some of the worst atrocities of the 20th century, ponder the evolution of sex, and ask whether mosquitoes could be completely eradicated with gene drive technology. Genetics Unzipped is brought to you by the Genetics Society. Listen and download now from geneticsunzipped.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It is a bit of a difficult listen at times, but it's also a really good episode. Do go check it out. And that's us for this episode. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter, at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at
1: hereditypodcast.gen at I'm James Bergen. Tune in next time.